This is I Rock with Rockstars, hosted by Ryan from I Rock 93.5. I could talk for a long time with you because you got a lot going on. I mean, a song, a tour, and a documentary. You're, you're kind of busy right now. A little busy, yeah. Things, things have picked up again, you know. The break is over. The COVID break is done. <laughs> yeah, so I, hopefully never again, right? Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I'll pass on that. I'll work 24 hours a day over that shit show any day. 100%. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's start at the top here. Let's start with the new song. So you were, uh, speaking of working, you were here in the Quad Cities. I think it was back in, like, September. And we did a meet and greet. And you met all the listeners. And then, you know, I said hi to you and stuff. And you're like, hey, we got this new song coming. And it's going to be coming here pretty soon. I need you on it. And I was like, sweet. Of course. It's you guys. I'm all over it. And then I kept waiting. I kept waiting. And I kept waiting. And it never showed up. And now here it is. Truth is out there. Uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad that now it's finally here. It's a good song. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it is a good song. You know, I, I really, well, obviously for me, this is a very personal moment too, right? So this comes from, <laughs> if anyone knows anything about me, they know that I always write about real life events that have affected me on an emotional level, good or bad. You know, and unfortunately, this was this was wasn't one of the better ones in my life, but it was about as real as it gets, you know, and ironically, this event happened to me in my life right when I was recording and writing this last record. So we were already in the studio for a month or two and we were writing and tracking some of these songs. And then this happens to me in my life where a seven year relationship gets betrayed it shut me down. It broke me for a minute. I had to shut down the whole project. The guys were very understanding, but, you know, I had to leave at that point. And, you know, I had built a life there. I had relocated to Florida near the, living near the guys. We built a recording studio. You know, I was building a life with this person um, who betrayed me. And then, uh, unfortunately, you know, I had, to, I had to go and heal, right? So we took about six or seven months, and I went home to New Hampshire and just kind of processed everything and got did my best to get past it. But in that interval, this song came to me. And whenever something like this passes through me, I have to capture it when it's happening or it's, it'll go away very quickly. And I just knew it was going to be a painful one. It was going to be raw. It was going to be emotional. It was going to be really vulnerable. And I'm sitting there going like, oh, do I want to expose this to the public? But it's such a beautiful song. And I'm thinking like, what do I do? I wanted to play for the guys, but I couldn't really even sing it for them you know, sitting at a piano and trying to perform it for them so they got a, a sense of what it was. And it was just hard, man. It was hard. I, you know, I was breaking down a lot because I was still processing this shit. You know, they say that, uh, you know, the, the, <clears throat> the people that can hurt you the most are the ones that you love the most, right? Yeah. So it was that kind of situation. And, uh, but anyways, long story short, man, the song gets done. We track it, you know, and we're just sitting there listening to it. We're going like, ugh this is a really big, beautiful rock ballad. Like we have to put this on the record. Um, and I'm thinking, man, this, you know, what's going to happen. This song is going to end up being a number one thing for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and always be in that painful moment, but it is what it is. And it's part of the sacrifice that we give to you people as artists is, you know, bearing our souls and <clears throat> allowing ourselves to be vulnerable at times to, to let you on the inside to, you know, to let you see that we're no different than anyone else out there. We're humans and human things happen to us just like anyone else. But in the end is, you know, we all know that 
beautiful art sometimes comes from a dark place. Well, and we'll definitely talk more about exposing yourself when we talk about the documentary because that's that's a whole nother level. But I mean, with like mm-hmm. writing this song, is it was it more difficult or was that part of the healing process for you? Mm-hmm. Well, both. I mean, certainly difficult. You know, when you're when you're and everybody, I'm sure, can relate to this because everybody's experienced some kind of betrayal in one form or another in their life, whether it was from a parent or a relationship or a friend, um, you know, but you sit in that hole sometimes. You just got to let time go by, right? There's nothing you can really do. People can give you the best advice. They can console you. They can try to drag you out. You, there's nothing you can do. You, you can't move past it until you move past it. So when you're sitting in that hole for an artist, right, there's just times where, you don't want to get up and go to the kitchen. You don't want to go to the bedroom. You don't want to go to the bathroom. You don't want to eat. You don't want to watch TV. You're just sitting on a couch thinking and thinking and thinking. <clears throat> a lot of times I'll have an acoustic in my hand and I'm just kind of pedaling and noodling around. So this, the song comes and, it's, and I'm like, Ugh, here we go, you know. But, and, uh, but I was just like, oh, my God, it's so pretty, though. <laughs> it's like, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm all upset and bummed out. But I'm thinking, no, oh, this is really nice. Like, I love these chords. They're dark. They're beautiful. They're, they're heavy, emotional. And so it just came out. So, yeah, it was hard to write because I was really raw. It was so raw at the time. But, you know, but then it happens, and you're just happy that it happens. So it's just, it's just both. So, I mean, love that song. That one's out there. You've done a lot of songs of your career. I did ask the listeners if there was something that they wanted to ask, and Scott chimed in. Scott wanted to know uh, if there was anybody else, because you've worked with a lot of people, anybody else that you'd ever want to do a collab with? Mm. Oh, there's so many people I'd love to do a collab with in so many different genres, by the way, because I'm a, I'm real, I'm a fan of music, right? And some people will laugh and roll their eyes at some of these things that I'll tell you, but I don't care. Like I'm a musician. I love playing instruments. I love playing music and I love listening to other artists play their songs and see how they approach music and stuff. So if I had like a wish list to name a few off the top of my head, I would probably do, I mean, of course I would want to do like, if it was a sick metal track, right. I would probably want to do something with Hatfield because I think our voices are really compatible then I think we would just come up with something banging. Like that would just be, if I was staying in my genre, I'd have to go to Headfield first and say, let's do something killer. Um, but I love people. And, and Dave Grohl obviously is awesome too. Right. Sure. But, uh, <clears throat> but like I would do, if it was like ballady and something big and beautiful and emotional, like the truth song, I would do something with Adele. I think right. she's pretty rad, man. I love her voice, right? Oh, man. Um, that Miley, would be awesome. The, the Miley, two of you guys together on that song would be epic. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's so many different genres that I would play with because I have a lot of different dynamics in the styles that I write. Um, but I'm like Miley Cyrus. She's cool. She's a little hard rocker, right? She's in the pop world, but I know that girl is like deep down inside a hard rocker. Like, so I would definitely with her. Oh, 100%. Um, I have always said with her, if her career would have started in the rock world, she would have been a superstar yeah. in rock. Yeah. Yeah. Her, Gaga, Lady Gaga, she's rad as fuck. Yeah. Um, so like, people like that, I would have a blast with on the female side of it. Um, Here, here's one for you. Here's one for you because I saw it in the documentary. 
I don't know what it would sound like, how it would work out, but uh, if the Boston connection of you and Dropkick Murphys ever got together, I am all in. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> you know, we should do that anyways because we're both Boston bands, you know, hardcore. And it's like, we should just make that happen. I mean, we both have nostalgia in Boston and we're both, you know, from the same neighborhood and have had success. We, I'm going to call them, man. I'm going to make that happen. We, we should do a song together. Absolutely. That would be fantastic. The only thing is that they're, they're so hardcore Irish and I'm Italian. <laughs> so, like, you can hear a lot of their stuff. It's very, like, traditional, you know? Oh, yeah. Even though they're hard punk rock and stuff like that. But I bet you we can make it happen. Bringing the cultures together. That's, that's what you're going to do. That's a good idea. Uh, okay, let's jump into the tour because that gets started here next week. And it's, uh, it's back on the acoustic tour, which you haven't done one of these in a while, and I absolutely love it. Um, what, was the, what was the motivation behind, hey, let's go do it acoustic again? Well, you know, we just wrapped up a big year last year touring on the big stages. And as you know, those shows are very physical and energetic. And, uh, you know, they beat your body up and your voice, right? So the voice has always been good, luckily. I've never had a problem there. But, you know, the bodies get tired, and it's more like a full-contact sport than it is a concert. So um, you need to heal, right? And, and, and we hit uh, the end of October, and, you know, with the holidays right around the corner, we're like, all right, we know we're going to take a break, but normally we're not going to ramp up again until May or June to start hitting the, the summer amphitheaters and all those kind of tours, right? Mm-hmm. But we didn't want to be off from November until May. So we're like, why don't we just – go back out, but maybe not do something big and physical. And we haven't run this kind of intimate show since like 2004. So we're like, this could be the perfect time to strip it down. It's not going to be totally acoustic, by the way. It's going to be fully electric. There will be acoustic performances. There's going to be some cool, nostalgic, vibey covers, maybe some old Zeppelin and things like that we're going to pull out. So um, we're going to make a really cool evening of that and storytelling and just really take people down that rabbit hole of a musical journey, you know, and, and, and give them that experience. So it, we're excited about it. And, uh, it's, we haven't been, you know, small and intimate in these kind of two, 3000 seaters in a while. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's cool when you can connect like that. And I, I think it says on the poster, you know, that it is that intimate evening cause it's not just going to be, you know, song and fire, song and fire, song and fire, you're going to be talking about them as well as you're playing things. Yeah, some of it. You know, we do want to We do want to play as much music as we can. But, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about a couple of things and, you know, just help people learn a little bit more about some of these songs and what they meant when we wrote them and things like that. But it's also a good chance for us to play the other songs that we never get to play or have time to play on the big shows because we're always pumping through the big, heavier, energetic songs and the singles. So this gives us a real chance to dive back into those kind of voodoos, serenities, the spiral, you know, even the new single Truth and some of the deeper cuts on these records, um, uh, you know, and just really create a vibe. That's why it was called the Vibes Tour. We just wanted to be, all the songs wanted to have a really cool vibe. And I know you said it's not going to all be acoustic, but you're going to have some of them in there. I will tell you, Running Blind and Touche are a couple of my favorite songs from yours. So, I mean... If you're doing those acoustic, I that would be amazing. Mm, I hope. I don't know all of them yet, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> You'll figure it all out. Uh, cool. Well, hey, I do want to ask this about acoustic, though. Uh, we got a, a, a band here kind of up and coming and stuff like that, and they're doing their first acoustic show ever. 
for you, how do you go from that mindset to, all right, you know, here's all the fire on the big stage to now let's shrink it down. Let's do it soft. How, how do you as an artist take it from one spot to another? Well, you know, it's a good question, but it, cause it's two different animals, right? It's like one of them is like I said, more like a full contact sport. So our dressing rooms smell like an NFL locker room between the Ben Gay and the ace bandages and everything we're wrapping our knees with and wrists and like getting ready to go out there to fight. Um, where this is kind of more a seductive, meditative kind of show, right? So, you know, my mindset always leans more towards just quieting my mind, you know, and preparing to just put on a good vocal performance. That's what I really want to focus on is being strong as I can vocally um, and execute the songs as as well as we can. So it's a it's a whole different you know whole different mindset. Well, it's uh it's great when you guys do it, and it's always cool just to see another side of of uh you know a hard rocking band turning it down like that. So uh, I do want to talk about this documentary though because I watched this late yesterday, and boy, I, I we could spend another hour talking about this, but we'll be quick on it. Yeah. Uh, but it's awesome. So it's your documentary. It's called I Stand Alone. But, you know, watching the documentary, yeah. there was something that, I mean, your bass player of, you know, 20 whatever some years it's been now, he had a line in there that I think should be the tagline for this. It should be, I stand alone, wild goat in heat. How's <laughs> <laughs> Robbie going to do you like that, man? Come on. <laughs> That's so funny. I yeah, mean, well, he was, he was right, you know. <laughs> It wasn't always great, that's for sure. Well, now, the documentary, you know, listen, man, it's um, it's another thing that, like, to put this kind of information out, you know, you just have to be in a place in your life where you're mature enough to be able to be vulnerable enough to expose the details of your personal life. And a while back in uh, 2007, I released a book, a memoir called The Paths We Choose, which was about the first 30 years of my life growing up in this very violent city named Lawrence, Massachusetts, which is north of Boston. And uh, I, I found out later that even Time Magazine once quoted Lawrence as the most violent city in America. Jeez. So <clears throat> that's just like a little snapshot of what that place is about. But, um, you know, when you're a young kid growing up in a very challenging inner city like this, you are inspired by the wrong things sometimes. And I grew up surrounded by violence and crime, being involved in gangs and drugs and, you know, these kind of insane illegal activities that, you know, we just shouldn't be a part of. But unfortunately, when that's your surroundings and your environment, you know, that's, that's what you're kind of subject to. Um, and so it was really hard, you know, to get through some of these moments. And there's so many times where I could have easily ended up dead or in jail. <clears throat> but the story is really about perseverance, you know, and it's about not only was there this gift in my life that I had music that, that kind of weaved itself through my life and saved me a lot of times from ending up dead or in jail. But um, it, it was really about a story of one boy's journey through life and all these obstacles that he was going to face. But you know, having the perseverance to kind of reach down inside yourself and find that inner strength when life knocks you down over and over again and stand up again and move through it instead of feeling defeated <clears throat> and, um, you know, and find the success, find the, the goal, you know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. 
um, because it's there. It's just a son of a bitch getting there sometimes, right? But, <clears throat> you know, the book initially uh, started to become somewhat inspiring to, like, teachers and things like that. I was hearing that they were using it in schools and classrooms, you know, and even though they were trying to, you know, there was some rough language in it, you know, but I think the story that they caught in there was that this is a good inspirational story because it shows that you have to have determination and perseverance to get through these moments because life will knock you down over and over again. Uh, but it's the ones that learn how to stand up are the ones that will find success and happiness in their goals in life, right? Whether you want to be a superstar or whether you just want to be married with a house and a white picket fence and a dog, like you can get to those achievements, but you have to listen. I'll tell you this, this way. I'm a parent, right? So I get this, but I think the one thing parents are lacking today and the new generation is lacking today is we are not preparing our children for disappointment because disappointment is what's going to happen over and over and over again, right? It's just unfortunate. So, but everyone can't get the fucking trophy, <laughs> right? It's like you have to prepare them for disappointment because when you do, and they understand, okay, that this is going to happen sometimes. You're not going to get the job or you're not going to get asked to the prom or you're not going to like, you know, there's going to, you're going to fail the test. Like there's going to be times in life that just didn't work out. Right. And you can't crumble. You have to be able to stand up and go, fuck it. I'm going to do it better. I'm going to do it different. <clears throat> I'm going to work a little harder because I really want that. You got to find your passion and you got to go for it. And when you do, that's when the magic happens, but you got to get uncomfortable first. So if I had advice to anybody, I would just tell them that. Be prepared for disappointment. And and I think the other part of that is, as I saw in the documentary, when you get knocked down, get the fuck back up again. Get up. Yeah. Get, I mean, that's why I'm saying there is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's just a son of a bitch getting there. Yeah. And, and you know? your story was wild to get there. I mean, you know, everything from, you know, what happened when you were 18 to, you know, possibly being in prison for life to almost dying when you were 21. I mean, but you kept picking it up. And then, I mean, that's, you know, the, the personal side of things. Then you look at the music side of things with you. I mean, I, I lost count at one point. I, I started keeping track and then I lost count. How many bands were you in before Godsmack? Oh my God. Um, well, my first band, I think I was 11 years old. <laughs> um, and then, uh, I don't know, man, it was, there was at least a, dozen if not more that i went through before i even decided to start godsmack and honestly godsmack was just an accident it was really just an experiment i had been a drummer my whole life as you know from this documentary that's really what i was reaching for you know i i had started drums when i was very young and i just thought i was going to be a drummer that's kind of the instrument that i had mastered and uh but, you know, after, again, disappointment over and over again, getting fired from bands, band not working out, not getting a record deal, whatever it was, I just got tired, man, and I quit music. And after about a year, I started to get the itch to play again. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I was in my mid-20s, late 20s by then. And I called Robbie, and I was just like, hey, dude, let's put this thing together, but let's not take it too seriously. Like, he was ready to quit, too. He has three years on me, right? So he was getting ready to turn 30. I was about 27. And he was, he was done with it, too. He's like, I'm just, I don't know if I want to play anymore. And uh, I'm like, oh, let's just, you know, let's just do it. And we'll just jam. Like, we'll record some stuff. Maybe we'll do a gig. But just, just fun to scratch the itch. 
you know, and then the, and then we did that, but the more people would start hearing the stuff we were doing, they would just be like, oh, I like this song, I don't like that song, and they started sifting through our demos and giving us direction, and so the more we would put together songs that, the, like the ones they liked, the more we started collecting these first batch of songs that became, you know, the first Godsmack songs. But <clears throat> I was still a drummer at the time. I was recording the demos, and then I would take the music home, and I would work on lyrics and try to, you know, figure out what the song sounds like. But I couldn't find a singer because we were just coming out of the 80s, and I didn't really want uh, someone with a high-pitched voice and all that. I wanted more of like a James Hetfield, Metallica-style growling, you know, vocal. So I'm like, yeah, I'll just, I'm just going to do it, right? And maybe it's easy to find a drummer. So that's how that whole thing happened. But it was just a big experiment. It was never supposed to do what it did. <laughs> so <laughs> here we are. So, yeah, here we are. I mean, sometimes that's how life works out. And I know I speak for uh, myself and, and countless others when I say I'm glad you uh, answered the phone the second time when uh, the label called you. <laughs> I totally hung up on them, I know. <laughs> Uh, all right. But, you know, when you're in that world, dude, when you're in that world, it's like you don't, you're not believing anybody. You're just working jobs and, you know, you're a local street kid. It's like then all of a sudden a record label calls one day and like, hey, we want to sign your band. We're like, all right, whoever this is, quit fucking around. You know, you hang up the phone. Right. So, yeah, no call, right, no call the ID then. You, you, we're, we're yeah, sure no, uh, last couple things that I'll let you go here, man. Um, first off, so I said, like I said, absolutely uh, fascinating documentary. I feel like your life story could easily be made into a movie as well. If it mm. were made into a movie, who's that actor that's playing Sully on the big screen? Uh, young Sully? Jeez, I don't know. <laughs> um, that's a good question. I, I don't know, man. Young Sully's got to have that great head of hair, too. <laughs> Someone told me once they thought Dave Franco would have been a good young Sully. Okay, I, can so see I don't that. know. I don't know. I don't know what he looks like now, but maybe, you know, I, I don't I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know who could play a young Sully. I will say this, though, doing some of the reenactment stuff, because as you know, you know, we didn't have cell phones and cameras back then. There wasn't a lot of video footage to support the stories we were telling in the documentary. There was some. So in the early days, when you see young Sully in there at seven years old playing the drums and hanging out with mom and dad, that's really me. I had a rich uncle that lived in Connecticut, and he would come visit us once in a while. And they always had a big camcorder with him, and he would film his kids and me and my sister playing with them and whatever. So that footage is real. But then when I get my teen years and all the trouble was happening, we had to reenact a lot of that stuff because there wasn't any video to support it. You know, so. Sure, um, yeah, no, it's it's. Nowadays, if there's a, uh, a a fight in the front yard when someone's getting a lawnmower thrown at their head, you got five people also taping it, but didn't happen back then. <laughs> and thank God we didn't have cameras back then because I got to tell you, <laughs> oh. I definitely would have ended up in jail. Like the incrimination. Hundred yeah. percent. The shit we yeah. did back then, I'm very thankful there were no cameras around. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, me too, man. And if there was, you know, we would have probably took it from someone and smashed it over the head, anyways, <laughs> because no one wanted to be videotaped back then. Not at all. Well, man. Man, I, uh, I appreciate you jumping on uh, here with me to talk about the music and the tour and the documentary. Uh, like you said, it's it's been a hell of a journey. I'm glad you put yourself out there. I am sure there have been people that have read it and now hopefully soon will be able to watch it um, that are going to be inspired by it for sure. When does, it, uh, when does the documentary I Stand Alone officially come out? 
Yeah, it's out. It's out on Apple TV. It's out on Amazon Prime. It's on some other platforms, but it's definitely out there right now. And I hope you guys all enjoy my crazy life. But, you know, all in all, it's just good fun entertainment. So have fun with it.